Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Coming to you before a very interesting stretch of games for our Pistons. Only 19 games remaining in the regular season for the Detroit Pistons. Four straight on the road coming up, then nine straight at home. Some very exciting things with the playoff picture starting to get interesting for the Pistons in the Eastern Conference. We have a lot to talk about. So Ben and I wanted to bring you some looks at the playoffs, the Eastern Conference race, and the upcoming schedule for the Pistons, and then just seeing how our team has played lately. So just a little check-in episode for everybody. Uh, And thank you again for checking in on this podcast. You can find it on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe there. You can also find it at our home, blogtalkradio.com slash Detroit Bad Boys, and also our home for the podcast, DetroitBadBoys.com, an SB Nation site. Uh, It should be your home every day for Pistons news uh, from now through the playoffs. And joining me for this episode, as he does every week on every podcast, is Ben Gulker. How are you, Ben? Glad to be here. What a bizarre schedule coming up. I'm glad we're going to unpack it a little bit. I don't remember anything this strange, honestly, for forever in Pistons history. I don't recall a, a schedule this weird, so glad to be with you talking about it a little bit. Yeah, I think we can just start right there. The the Pistons schedule, like like I mentioned, and I'll, I'll get into it a little bit more here. So the next four games from March 9th until uh, March 14th are on the road for four straight. Then we have nine straight games at home uh, from Wednesday, March 16th until Friday, April 1st. So we actually get into April uh, with this homestand. And then on the other side of that homestand is three straight on the road against Eastern Conference playoff teams, uh, Chicago, Miami, uh, and even Orlando, who's probably sneaky good at the end of April there. So it's a really, you're right, bizarre schedule coming up. Um, I have a couple questions about the schedule. I think my first one is, what's more important uh, for the Pistons? Kind of avoiding disaster for these first four, or really taking advantage of those nine straight at home? Man, that's a great question. Um, I lean toward the nine straight at home uh, only because if you look at the four straight on the road, you've got Dallas, Philly, and Washington, mm-hmm. right? So Dallas, Western Conference team, you don't want to lose any of those games. But if you lose to Dallas, not going to hurt you in any sort of tiebreaker situation. True. Philly, presumably that's a win. Washington could become important. I mean, Washington is is still sort of making things interesting, I guess. Um, but I think those I think those games coming up on the road, I think those are going to be really critical. Um, or excuse me, at home, because you look at you look at that stretch of nine games. You've got Atlanta, you've got Charlotte, you've got Atlanta, and then um, another three games in a row. So personally, I think you you aim for six or seven wins on that nine-game home stretch, and you hope that you can get, let's see, four, seven, eight road games left. Hopefully you get three or four of those, and I, I think if you can do that, you've got a real shot of being in the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. I think we do have to kind of run up the score a bit with those home games, and and you're right. We do have some hopeful, you know, with the way the Pistons have played against bad teams this season, uh, there's no guarantees, and we saw that the other night in the New York game. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, you see at Philly, and then games with Brooklyn, Sacramento coming to town. Those are games that hopefully we can get some wins against bad teams, teams that are outside the playoffs with nothing to play for at that point. So hopefully we, again, can kind of run up the score there. I'm interested what we can do in these next two. I think these next two games are huge. You're right, at Dallas, you don't want to lose that game, but Western Conference, it might not kill you. Uh, Charlotte at Charlotte on Friday. I think that's a huge game. 
Uh, yeah, sure. that's a really that's I would say the most important one of the next four. I mean, that's a little bit obvious, but definitely the most important one. Yeah, you, just looking at Charlotte right now, I didn't realize they're in the middle of a homestand, uh, six straight games at home, and then they get into kind of a rough part of their schedule. So I think it's important we keep within striking distance of the Hornets. I mean, they're only two and a half games up right now in the sixth spot. So I think that's a team that you, they've been playing well, you know, eight and two in their last ten. But I, I just have this feeling that. Charlotte's one toward the end of the season, especially with the way they've struggled on the road, uh, might be one of the teams the Pistons are going to be fighting for for that last last spot or two in the East. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely a team that's, I think, a little bit surprising um, how well they're playing of late. But, mm-hmm. you know, every game that we play against a potential playoff team uh, in the East is huge. Any win over them feels like a jump of two in the standings. So, and we've got several of those coming up. I mean, we've got True. obviously Charlotte just coming up at, at the end of this week, but then a couple, Atlanta twice at home in that home stretch, uh, Chicago, Miami, and Cleveland. I, so, several really key games in the last nineteen. Yeah, it's very true. And having them a couple times, I think, is going to be crucial. Uh, having Chicago on the road kind of late in the season, uh, Miami twice. Miami twice is interesting, too. Yeah, yeah having them twice in April. They're, again, this this is going to get really interesting for the Pistons. Uh, but you, let's just talk about where they are right now. Half game out of the eighth spot. Uh, are you surprised to see them still kind of jockeying for position uh, following you know the Tobias Harris trade? Did you think that they'd be a little more secure in their playoff placement by now? Well, I think, you know, I was a, a little bit worried when the trade first happened because, it, to me, it it felt a lot like the trade for Reggie Jackson last year in that it felt like a long-term play as opposed to a short-term play. And um, it seemed to me like if you missed the playoffs and gain a, a player like Tobias, you, you wouldn't miss the playoffs because Tobias is a bad player. It's because you send out two rotation players and got one back. But that seemed like the thought trajectory. We might slip a little bit in the standings. But then Tobias started playing for the Pistons, and it was pretty clear that he was more impactful than I anticipated. So, you know, I'm actually, personally, I'm happy to be where we are, a winning record, a half game out. I think that's actually a pretty good place to be, all things considered. Um, Because as we've talked about a lot, you know, we did send a good bit of value out to get Tobias and and depleted their rotation, especially in the backcourt. So, I'm I'm pretty content to be within striking distance with you know 19 left. Yeah, and I know we've talked about it before. In you're right. I think both of us agreed that uh, you know there was definitely a chance for some struggles following the Harris trade, and with what he's given us so far, basically 17 and six a game uh, since he's been a Piston. Uh, it, it's definitely not been Tobias that's been the uh, the issue so far for uh, for the Pistons. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about their their last few games. Um, because I want to get an idea from you about what the what the issues might be with this team, because I don't think it's Tobias. Uh, no. the, the two straight losses, San Antonio and then at the Knicks, uh, a 13-point loss to the Knicks, kind of, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. That was one I definitely penciled in as a win. Uh, what are you seeing from this team in terms of the struggles? Uh, and also giving up 100 to Portland the other night. Uh, just what are you seeing this team struggling with right now? Sure. So San Antonio, it, mentally I had sort of written this off as a loss. If I wrote about this in the preview. If the Warriors weren't doing what the Warriors are doing, we would be talking about San Antonio as having one of the best regular seasons 
in the modern NBA. They're just a fantastic team right now. They were undefeated at home going into that game, undefeated coming out of that game. So I don't think there's too much to dwell on there. Uh, I think we just got beat by a team that's much, much better uh, than the Pistons are, and, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. The the New York one, though, I think you're right. That's that's one where the Pistons are a better team, you know, not by a huge margin, but clearly a better team. Um, but I think you know a couple obvious things stand out from that game. First is the three point shooting. So the the four game win streak that preceded this sort of mini losing streak, we were shooting over forty percent from deep, and that's fantastic to watch. We talked about that uh, on some of the previous podcasts when we're shooting well. This team really is very dangerous. And in a seven-game series, if they shoot well, four out of those seven games, they could surprise somebody. Going into New York, six for 26 from deep. That translates into 23%. Hmm. It's going to be really, really tough. Everything else, put everything else aside, it's going to be really, really tough um, for us to win basketball games shooting that poorly from deep. The second thing that stands out to me is that uh, Reggie Jackson just had a terrible game. Probably his worst game of the season. And, you know, he, we've talked a lot about how consistent is he. Is, is consistency still a problem for him? I think he's been a very consistent player on the whole this year. Mm-hmm. And he just had a bad game. Three for 17 from deep, four turnovers um, to only six assists. When, you're, when your most important player on offense plays like that and the rest of the team doesn't shoot well from deep, it, it was just a bad game. You know? So I don't know how much to overanalyze it. I think we lost to San Antonio because they're better. We lost to New York because Reggie uh, Reggie really struggled, and then the supporting cast didn't shoot well. And to me, those are kind of the big-picture things that, that stand out at the moment. What about you? What do you think about those couple of games? Yeah, I think you're right with San Antonio. That was, uh, you know, the Spurs right now 30-0 at home. I didn't expect to win there. I expected a little bit better showing at least in the second half i think we came out we came out so flat and it just seemed like the shooting numbers we were getting uh in those those couple of games at the end of february uh where you know it was the three-point shooting i I know we had talked about it was so good i think that just came back to reality a bit in the new york and san antonio games with just some really bad shooting efforts and i think the spurs get a lot of credit for how good they are defensively but we just shot the ball really poorly in that second half to barely get 80 points in that game, I think it shows some offensive struggle. Uh, and that's that's something I definitely worry about with the team going forward, but I think Tobias Harris has given us such a nice look offensively. He's given us another piece that uh, we know we didn't have with our son Ilyasova. I hope some of that just kind of fixes itself, because you're right, shooting the way we were just earlier, just a few weeks ago, you have to like our chances against a, a lot of the teams in the Eastern Conference uh, you know, in a seven-game series. Oh, absolutely. And so I actually had the, uh, the good fortune to get on ESPN Toledo uh, radio at the end of last week, and this is what we talked about. Do the Pistons have a puncher's chance of making some noise in the first rounds of the playoff if they get there? And I think on paper, if we're the seventh seed or the eight seed, it's a huge uphill battle. Yeah. I think, you know, Jacob said something about this last week. They're probably gonna, Cleveland's probably going to win 80% of the time. Um, we played well against Cleveland over the past two seasons, so I think we have a puncher's chance, but we have to shoot the ball well. If if the three-point shots are not falling, the offense is going to look like it did against San Antonio in the second half and, and against New York. And, and that's part of that's part of the way 
the roster is built. We're going to, to a certain degree, live and die by the three-point shot. And on a four-game win streak, we live by it. A two-game losing streak, we died by it. Yeah, definitely. And then with the Portland game, were you surprised at all by the outcome in that game? No, in fact, I was really happy about it. I mean, I think Portland is a team that at this point in the Pistons' development, you've got Portland at home. The mentality should be that we expect to win that ball game. Um, obviously, the three-point shooting took another turn in the right direction, 12 out of 22 from deep. Mm-hmm. When you shoot the ball at over 50% from deep and get 22 attempts, you're probably going to perform really well on offense, and that's what we saw. Uh, one of the higher point totals of the season. I think defensively, your point is really interesting. Giving up 100 to Portland, uh, probably not not great, but defense hasn't been a concern outside of this game for me. So, no, I was really pleased. I was pleased to see um, how, this is so cliche, but how much energy they had uh, coming after two tough losses to really bounce back and really control the game from start to finish. Every time Portland... You know, creep back to within seven or eight points. We'd answer with a couple threes or a bucket in transition, and, and it was never really in doubt. So I think that's a that's a really important thing for this team to experience. You know, they they didn't go on a three game skid. It could have turned that direction. Instead, uh, they played with a lot of energy. Drummond was fantastic. Reggie Jackson very very good. And again, Tobias just missed your consistency right now on the offensive side of the ball, and, and a really convincing win. Uh, and just another part of that, too, that was nice to see was the second game of a back-to-back to yeah. have that type of energy, I, I think, mm-hmm. is huge. Uh, because the one thing, you know, the the nine-game homestand looks great. We do have, you know, three sets of back-to-back in that stretch. So there's definitely some some tough scheduling uh, involved in that, including uh, three and five nights. So I think it's important to see that team play that well uh, without having the rest. Uh, especially with the travel situation, having to go from New York back home to to meet Portland, that was uh, that was nice to see. Because stuff like that starts to really matter come March and April, when you know the games start to matter just a little bit more when you're looking at the playoffs the way we are. Yeah, and really, I mean, when you look at the the rotation uh, against against the Blazers in particular, Stan really played the starters heavy minutes. I mean, Tobias especially, and I think that was the right call because I think the Pistons really needed to win that game and had some days to rest afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that if the Pistons make the playoffs, that's probably what the, the rotation is going to look like really heavy minutes for the starters. And, you know, uh, guys like Reggie Bullock have, have really stepped up and contributed here, but they're not going to get a lot of minutes in the playoffs. And, you know, that starting five, we've talked a lot about it with, with Tobias Harris. It can cause problems for some of these play, uh, some of these teams in the East. Yeah, and what have you just? What have you thought of his play so far? You know, we've seen nine games now with Tobias Harris. Uh, is it a current? J- just comparing it to Ersan Ilyasova and what he was giving us, are we seeing more or less offensively uh, from that starting five with Tobias? Well, I say more. Um, I say more because as we've talked about, he's an he's an entirely new dimension to the offense. Instead of one ball handler can get to the basket, Reggie Jackson, you know, have two. Mm-hmm. And you have it from a position uh, where you where defenses normally don't have to deal with that. You don't normally have to deal with a power forward standing in the in the corner somewhere on the perimeter who not only can shoot the ball if you leave him open. The NBA has plenty of those guys, but players who can get to the basket and finish from the four spot that that's a pretty uncommon thing to have. Uh, so I think he gives you another player who forces 
the defense to rotate. And I think when the Pistons are at their worst all season long, um, it's very stagnant offense with Reggie being the only guy moving, everyone else sort of standing around, yeah. and the defense has, doesn't have to do anything except try to stay in front of Reggie Jackson. With Tobias Harris on the, uh, on the floor, that's no longer a concern. Defenses have to play a completely different game. So from, from my perspective, a bigger upgrade than I expected, as I talked about. I, I, I didn't realize he was this good attacking the basket, uh, and I think that gives us a whole nother, a whole nother dimension to the offense. Yeah, and what have you seen from the bench? I, I know we talked a lot about the bench on, on a previous episode, talking how well they were playing since the trade. Uh, what what are we seeing now, uh, given that the bench now has kind of come into place with, you know, uh, or, or just what have you seen from the bench in the last few games? Yeah, I mean, I think, so like Aaron Baines, he's been solid like he has been all season. Like he struggled a little bit early, but he's been a, a quality backup big. And he, he's good at what he does. Not a great player, just a solid backup big. Reggie Bullock, I mean, what an opportunity for him to really carve out a role, been on the bench all season long, and really played uh, really, really solid ball, really, really filled his role well, and had a lot to do with some of the good shooting nights that we've seen uh, as a team. You know, Hilliard is, um, you know, I'm not quite as confident in him as I think some of the other Detroit Bad Boys readers are. He still makes me a little nervous especially when he gets the ball in his hands and, and tries to dribble too much. And, you know, Steve Blake, I think offensively, he's he's capable. But on the defensive side of the ball, I, I really worry about his ability to hold up. But I think Baines and Bullock in particular have, have been pretty strong, and then I think Hilliard has had his moments. And actually, I'm actually intrigued about Justin Harper. Um, you know, he's really only played mostly in garbage time, but he's kind of got that, that SVG feel to him, right? He's the kind of player that Ben Gundy really likes and the kind of player that Ben Gundy has had a lot of success coaching. So, you know, if the Pistons get into some situations where, you know, they need to play him, I'm, I'm really curious to see what he has uh, beyond just garbage time. Yeah, I would like to see Justin Harper as well. He signed that second 10-day contract. I, I'm wondering how much of him we'll see in these next four games. You're right, it's really just been garbage time so far, but... I think he's, you're right, exactly what SVG wants. This is clearly a, a Stan Van player. This is someone that he had in Orlando, brought into the Pistons Summer League team last year. Uh, so clearly there there's an, an affinity for Justin Harper. But the type of player he is, it, it seems like it just fits so perfectly uh, as a kind of a, a compliment to maybe Anthony Tolliver or or a compliment to Aaron Baines. I, I feel like there's there's a chance there for, for that to really work out if he gets a chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hinted at the schedule and some of the upcoming back-to-backs and, and you're not having a firm timetable, at least that I've heard for Anthony Tolliver. Very possible that, he, you know, he could get, there could come a game where he's going to get 10 to 15 minutes out of necessity. So you're looking at a game like uh, Philly, for example. That's the second game of a back-to-back. Hopefully, the Pistons build enough of a lead where they can afford to play their best, more substantial minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, that could be a game where he, he actually gets the chance to prove himself. And hopefully he can have a, Re- a Reggie Bullock moment where he steps in, he's ready, and he contributes. Yeah, with the way the bench looked against Philly last time, it would be nice to see that type of e- that type of effort again, and for someone like Justin Harper to get big minutes. Because you're right, as you look at the schedule beyond that, uh, not much of a chance. So really, if he's looking to sign a contract, which now after a second ten day, he would have to sign a contract for the rest of the season. I think it's that Philly game. You're right. We probably have to look at 
second night of a back-to-back against a bad team uh, is his chance to to really earn a roster spot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just looking at the bench, it's it's tough to not think about who's not there. And you're yeah. right, Tolliver, uh, Stanley Johnson, and Jody Meeks. Uh, I want to talk about Meeks and, and Stanley a bit. Uh, and you mentioned Darren Hilliard, and, and this is Rookie Week on SB Nation. Uh, so let's start with talking about the, the rookies and, and our first-round pick, Stanley Johnson. Not back yet. How big uh, How big is it for this team to get Stanley healthy? And is he worth rushing along? Is he that important to the bench that uh, we need to get him back soon? I don't, I don't think it's worth rushing him along if, if there's, you know, potential damage and injuring him further. Kid's 19. His body's not even fully developed yet, in spite of the fact that, you know, he's like 6'7", six, six, 240 or whatever. <laughs> right. I mean, if, if the Pistons are fighting for the difference between a fourth seed and a fifth seed, where it's home court advantage or not home court advantage, maybe that's a conversation to have. But to me, uh, I think you still have to have the long view in mind when you're talking about fighting for the eighth seed. I mean, he's obviously an important part of the bench. His offense can be inconsistent, but uh, really, really fun to watch him transition and a solid defender. So obviously a key cog in the rotation at this point. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think I rush him. What do you think on that? Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to bring him back too soon. I, and I, I like what Stanley has given us this year, and, and clearly he's going through some growing pains. Uh, you know, I initially liked the pick. I still like the pick, uh, even next to some of the guys that the Pistons passed up. Justice Winslow and Devin Booker definitely come to mind. And and Booker's done a really nice job uh, given his, his trial run here in Phoenix. But uh, I still think Stanley... You're right. We have to think a little beyond this season. Even though we're so deep in a playoff race right now, uh, we have to think about his future. I, I would rather just not shut him down, but make sure he's at 100% when we bring him back because he already has so many things on the floor that clearly he's anxious about. Uh, we would hate to give him an injury to also think about uh, when he's got the ball in his hand. So uh, I think it's important just to make sure he's at 100% so we get the, the best of him uh, if he's part of this team for the rest of the season. And then with Jody Meeks. Jody Meeks back practicing. Uh, hasn't done anything competitive Stan Van said the other day, you know, they're still holding him out at five on five. He's not doing anything that's too hard on his body. Uh, any idea when Jody Meeks will be back? You know, I've seen the same stuff you have, but my thought around this is if they don't get him back soon, it's going to be really hard to reintegrate him considering all of the changes to the team dynamics since he's last been practicing and playing. So, I mean, you're talking about 19 games left. I think you'd want you'd want to have him back at some point during that homestand to try to integrate that, him before the playoffs get here because you know at the NBA players know what they're doing. I mean, I think sometimes it's overstated how much time players need to play together to to develop chemistry. But when you're talking about the last 10, 15 games of the season, that's not a lot of time, and there's not much practice time in there. Um, so if he's not back within the, what, the next two to two and a half weeks, you know, you got to wonder, is he, is he going to find his way back into the rotation or not at all? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, and it's nice that Reggie Bullock is, is starting to really play well and take advantage of the situation he has. Uh, because you're right. If we look three weeks from now and Jody Meeks has still not seen any game action, you have to wonder if he's going to be a, a part of that playoff roster 
and if he's going to see meaningful minutes if he's healthy at that point. Um, because if if he's not available for this road stretch, which it seems clear he's not going to be, at what point in that homestand is he available and when do they bring him back? That's that's tough. I, I think it's tough right now with Jody Meeks because you're right, those those minutes are important to uh, those minutes are important for Stan Van Gundy to figure out that playoff rotation, which is something he's going to be thinking about here in the next in the next few games. Yeah, I think the the big appeal for Jody uh, as a as a rotation piece right now uh, is what we saw in San Antonio and New York, and that's stagnant offense that struggles to make any shots. That's what Jody was brought to t- Detroit to do, and when he was healthy at the end of last year. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was – how good he was really went under the radar and uh, kind of that really strange end of the season uh, that this team had. He would be exactly the player I would want to have sitting on my bench ready to contribute when my offense is struggling the way – you know, if I'm Van Gundy the way that it has the last couple games. But I think from a conditioning standpoint in particular, if he's not playing game minutes by – you know, that I would say maybe that week of March 21st, it, there's just not much time to get to get your legs back, to learn the sets, uh, and to really contribute uh, in spite of just some of his raw talent. So I think, you know, for me, it's really a couple weeks away might be the point of no return on that. Yeah, and I would hate to see him come back and struggle, uh, you know, whether it's into April or the playoffs because he hasn't seen any minutes with Steve Blake, you know, and that's that bench unit that he would be playing with they're, those are guys in, that are not really familiar faces to Jody Meeks at this point. So it, it would be putting him in a situation where, you're right, it's 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 going to start to get crucial for him to get back in probably the next 7 to 10 games to, yeah. to figure his role. Yeah, and I think especially when you, you think about the end of that homestand, we, we conclude with Oklahoma City and Dallas, two West Coast teams, where if you're going to lose any of those games, those would be the ones that are – you know, maybe you don't cringe about losing because they're not in the yeah. same comments in the playoff picture. But when you get past that, you go, you go to Chicago, followed up at Miami, and then you've got Washington and Miami again at home and then at Cleveland. Those are five games against playoff teams where your margin for error is really small. Very so true. I don't think the Pistons will have the luxury of throwing a new guy into the rotation at the expense of, a, you know, two or three wasted possessions because – players just aren't on the same page as each other. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my opinion. The next couple of weeks, if he's not back by then, you know, he just might not be able to might not be able to contribute in the way that we hope this year. Yeah, which would be a shame, uh, but hopefully he can get back soon. Uh, it is nice to know that he is practicing, and, and hopefully Stan Van can work him back sooner rather than later. Uh, you're right, that, that bench unit could use it. They could use the scoring he can provide. Uh, you mentioned margin for error, and I think this is really important with where the Pistons are right now in the playoff race, uh, because we, you've mentioned it, and I think I've seen on Twitter Pistons fans are starting to notice uh, things like tiebreakers and head-to-head records. These things are going to start to matter. So I want to just kind of forecast the next 19 games the best we can for everyone. Um, I want What was your preseason prediction? I don't know if you remember it exactly, but in terms of win-losses, are, are the Pistons on track? Uh uh, what was your preseason prediction, and, and kind of where does that stand now? Yeah, I think I had him at 43. Okay. So they're, you know, pretty reasonably close to that right now, yeah. Yeah, I think I was the same. I think I had 42 wins. So if we're looking at uh, the team right now at 32 and 31, 
for both of us, they got to win 10 of their next 19 uh, to be on track uh, for what we thought in the preseason. So I'm glad we're kind of on the same page here, but th- this is where, you know, I-, I think it's a little less certain. If they win 10 of their last 19, is that good enough to get them into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? You know, can you believe that we're even having this conversation? It's crazy, right? I mean, yeah. how many years in a row would that have been the sixth seed? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. This year, there's a real chance that there could be two or three, well, probably two, winning teams that don't make the playoffs in the East. And that has not happened. And I honestly have no idea how long. So 43 wins, there's a chance that that's not good enough. And that I think that would surprise just about everybody who's paid any attention to the Eastern Conference for the last five to ten seasons. It's a very real possibility that 43 doesn't get them. It's true. You could realistically have ten teams with a winning record this year in the Eastern Conference. If if Washington finishes strong and everybody else, you know, basically five through nine, uh, finishes the year 500 or better, you're looking at ten-plus teams with a winning record. And that's, you're right, it's completely insane to think that 42 wins wouldn't be good enough for the Pistons. And both of us were definitely not thinking that. So let's say we need a little bit of help. And I know we played this game a couple weeks ago, but now that we've seen a little bit more basketball, uh, I don't know about you, I feel pretty confident with those top five teams in the East making the playoffs. Cleveland, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Atlanta. Yeah, I would agree. Miami just continues to surprise me. I I'm, remain surprised by them. But yeah, I think those five are pretty much as close to a sure thing as you can get. Yeah, and we've talked a bit about Charlotte, so I guess just between Indiana and Chicago, if there's only two Central Division teams uh, out of those three that are going to make the playoffs, uh, which one is is on the outside, in Indiana or Chicago? Which one do you like the least? Chicago. Yeah, is it still just the injury concern? I think it's the injury concern, and I think I've talked about this before on the show. I'm just not a huge believer in Derrick Rose. And I, you know, I... I think the way that they've chosen to use Joakim Noah, I think he's out for the reign of the season at this point now. The direction that the coaching has gone over the course of the season and the way the talent has been utilized, I, I just don't believe in him. Um, I believe in Jimmy Butler, but beyond that, you know, I just don't. I I don't see enough there to have a lot of confidence that they can finish the season with a with a winning record. And let's see, they're. When we look at point differentials as well, that's one of the things we talk about in this podcast a lot. You know, points allowed and points scored, they actually have a, a losing record if you look at those things. So if you look at what their projected win-loss would be based on their point differential, they're a losing team. Uh, so I think there's a real chance they could they could sort of stumble their way out of it and, and leaving an open spot for Detroit. Yeah, just what a departure from the Tom Thibodeau days where this team was so good defensively and you, you knew, kind of similar to SVG, what the rotation was going to be, who you were going to see night in, night out. And Hoiberg comes in, and, and that just completely goes away. And just the way this team has struggled defensively, on the road, you know, forget the injuries, you're right. It's just the way the team has played that I don't think that's a playoff team this year. I, I would really be surprised if Chicago can withstand this, this next 20 games that they have. Uh, and make it into the playoffs because you're right; they haven't played like a playoff team to this point. Yeah, and I mean, I just i I don't believe in what they've done in terms of their philosophy. I think when you when you have a player like Joaquim Noah, 
and you cut his minutes and give them to guys who aren't anywhere near as productive, even though they might score a few more points per game. I just think you're headed in the wrong direction. If, if you don't realize what an important player he is, he was the anchor of that team's defense. I mean, there's just, in my mind, no question about that. And I, I think that that's one of many things that I think Chicago fans can probably unpack a lot better than I can. But I, I think their whole philosophy, I think they just missed the mark the whole season. And it's, it's really cost them. Yeah, it really has. And that was an issue they had early in the season, trying to figure out the front court. And they just never got it right. And I think for that reason, and uh, as special as Jimmy Butler is, I just don't think the team is good enough to to make the playoffs. And I at least see enough moments from the Pacers that makes me think that that's a, a playoff caliber team. Yeah, they're be- they're definitely better than I anticipated. I would have I would have had them on the outside looking in, but I, and like we talked about, I think last week, Sean had them pegged perfectly. Uh, the coaching there has been phenomenal. Yeah, They're getting the absolute most out of the tools they have at their disposal. And, and I think have proved, barring some sort of fluke, that they really belong in the playoffs. Yeah, credit to, to two guys, Frank Vogel and also Steve Clifford in Charlotte. I, I know you mentioned it, that another great coaching job and, and just helping that team hold on. Uh, but Indiana, yeah, I don't think, uh, and I know I, I'm definitely guilty of this, I didn't give them enough credit in the off, in the off season and uh, leading up to the start of the year. Uh, but they look good. And defensively, I would love to see them in a first-round matchup with Toronto or Cleveland. I think that's a team that could give the Raptors or Cavs at least some trouble in that first round. Yeah, I I surely would not want to play them. I, I would not yeah. want to play them. They've got – I mean, they're, they're deep. They've got – you know, Kemba Walker has really been a, a fantastic player this year. Uh, he's really emerged from – a guy who people were questioning if he was even going to stick, I think, early in his career to really leading, I think, leading the team, I think is a fair way to say it. And a really, really tough player to cover who's doing a really fantastic job of running the points. I wouldn't want to play him by any stretch of the imagination, especially if I'm Toronto. Yeah, yeah, very true. Uh, And for the, uh, just all the bottom, all the bottom teams right now in the Eastern Conference, uh, I think make for some interesting matchups. Which one of those top three with Cleveland, Toronto, Boston is the most interesting matchup for Detroit? Maybe not the best, but just the most interesting series for you. Which one would it be? Oh, man, Jacob would not like me for saying this, but I'm going to say Cleveland. Yeah. Because uh, I think it's if going back to the start of last year, if I, if I remember correctly, the notes that I made earlier this week, they're three and four against the Caps, which that's losing in a seven-game series. But it's, it's also not that far away from winning a seven-game series. I think uh, Reggie Jackson is a nightmare for them because they don't have a point guard who can defend anyone on that roster. <laughs> and they have no answer for Andre Drummond. So I think you know that those two players, if, if they go off in a big way, they can cause all sorts of problems for Cleveland. Now, the flip side of that is I think Jacob's right. 70% of the time, the Cavs ought to win. But I think there's a couple matchups that, if, if they go just the right way, could be really, really scary for Cleveland. Yeah, and I think what, what makes that matchup even more interesting now is adding Tobias Harris. Because my biggest issue with matchups with Cleveland over the last two seasons is how we defend Kevin Love. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see how Tobias Harris handles Kevin Love, because that could be a change for the Pistons going forward, at least beyond this season. 
uh, not leaving him open, having someone who can get out and defend the perimeter and still bang with Kevin Love a bit, not not giving him easy looks inside as well, uh, that could be huge. It really could, just not to give him the easy ones uh, that he's had time and time again against the Pistons. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing that Tobias does that I think uh, could potentially frustrate Cleveland is when they go to LeBron James at the four, that has always been a problem for Detroit, going back even a decade ago when they went small with LeBron. Not saying Tobias can lock down LeBron or anything that crazy, but it's a, it's a better situation than we've had in the past. Yeah, and I know you've mentioned it before on this podcast. We've played well against Cleveland this season. Yeah, we have. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want to call that a first-round upset because – I think over a seven-game series, they could grind us down. I think we would struggle to win uh, a game or two in Cleveland. But I, I have to think that we are a tough matchup for them, tougher than tougher than Chicago, for sure. I, I think we give them a, a much uh, a much better matchup for the reasons you mentioned. Uh, another one being that I think, oh, I think the combination of Marcus Morris and Tobias Harris, uh, whatever forwards... Cleveland can throw at us. I think we just have enough versatility defensively that we can deal with Cleveland uh, throughout a series. Now, I think it's good enough to win a couple games, but again, I don't know if it's enough to win four. No, I I think on paper, they're the overwhelming favorite, and I I think that's totally fair. It would take take four four games where we shot the ball like we did over that four-game winning streak. They're shooting the ball 40% from deep, and that's hard to do. Uh, Obviously, it's hard to do where the Pistons would just go do it every game. Um, but if they shoot the ball well and Reggie and Andre play up to their capacity, they they have the opportunity and the ability to make things really, really interesting. Yeah, definitely. So just now, I guess, beyond making it interesting, which one of those teams gives us the best chance to win? Is it still Cleveland, or do we have a better shot against someone else? Well, I think we would have a, the easiest time against Boston, but I, I don't know, I have a hard time seeing us get getting into but would it be the sixth seed to play them? Um, I think more realistically, we're probably the eighth seed. I mean, that's probably our our best chance. Maybe somehow we sneak into the seventh seed and play Toronto. Yeah. But I, personally, I'd rather play Cleveland than Toronto. I think Toronto's a more complete team, and I think they match up with us better. Um, Boston, I think, is the most vulnerable of those top three. But like I said, I think that our chances of getting in a position to play them are pretty slim. Yeah, and I kind of think the East this year will go a little like the Western Conference last year where the playoff picture just won't be settled until the last the last day or two of the season. So, I, I mean, we could definitely sneak into seven and really two and a half back of the sixth spot. It's not, it's not crazy to think that we could make a move, uh, but I think it means winning a good amount of the rest of our... The rest of our scheduled yeah, games. Yeah, I mean, it would entail, like, winning eight out of those nine home games <laughs> or something. I mean, it would really take something unexpected in order for that to happen. Yeah, it probably means winning like 13 right. or 14 yeah. of these last 19 games, which right. I, I don't think are completely. it's completely possible to do something like that, although I do like the way the schedule sets up for the Pistons. They have some success here at the end. Kicking this idea around a little bit as we start to get close to the end of the season, it's possible that when you look at those last five games... Um, so after that long homestand, let me pull up their schedule again. Mm-hmm. So you've got um, 
So following the Mavericks, which is the ninth game, that's on Friday, April 1st, you've got Chicago, Miami, Orlando, Washington, Miami, and Cleveland. Very real chance that Cleveland is going to mail that game in. Yeah. So real opportunity there. Washington could be fighting for a playoff spot, might not be. Orlando, very real chance they're going to be tanking, mailing that in. Um, Chicago, depending on where they're at, I mean, if they go on a five-game losing streak, they might no longer be thinking about playoffs either. So what I'm, the long way around to the point I'm trying to get to is those last five or six games, there might be two or three games in that stretch that are almost default wins because teams have, have packed it in for the season. So it, it's premature to say that's definitely going to be the case. But that also might work in our favor, especially that last game against Cleveland where, you know, I'd be surprised if they dress more than eight players and, you know, everyone else is just resting for the playoffs. Yeah, hopefully Cleveland by then has that number one seed wrapped up. I could see that being the only reason they are playing tough at the end of the season is Toronto is still pushing them for the top seed. Uh, I'm sure they want to, you know, guarantee themselves home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. But by the end, by that game, they could be done for. Orlando could be tanking. Who knows what's going to happen with Chicago? There could be two or three games there that that really are favorable for us for those sorts of um, jockeying for position, both in the lottery and the playoffs. Yeah, that's very true. And then you add that on top of you know having Philly and Brooklyn still on the schedule. I, I think it's it's very. I think it's a very real possibility for the Pistons that you, you're going to hit that 40-win mark, and it's going to come down to maybe a handful of games to decide this season and to decide our playoff hopes. Uh, yep. And that makes the next batch of games, these next four on the road, so important. Uh, we just can't have those losses to the Knicks anymore. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. We can't, yeah, we can't go lose one to Sacramento at home. No, we just can't afford those right now. No, we can't. And I thought we kind of had that out of our system. But what is it about this team that kind of continues to make games against bad teams difficult? Is it is it just the bad shooting nights, or is there something else that you notice with this team on those on those bad games? Well, for me, yeah, the number one thing is the shooting. Um, the second thing I would say in the most the most recent stumbles would be our lack of depth. I mean, our bench, like we've talked about, has had some really nice moments of late, but. I mean, really, there's only it, there's only seven guys that you'd really want to play if you were building a rotation from the ground up, and you're really relying on guys who were never really your plan A for the season. So I think the lack of depth has played in as well. I think um, this this also sounds super cliche because it's a, it's a phrase that you hear and it's never really defined. But I think there is something to learning how to win in in close games and on the road. I think there's something about that. Um, that experience is the only teacher and this team is still so young. And true. I, I think there's, there's something about, especially being on the road in the NBA and in close games in the NBA, you learn things by, by going through those things and you can only learn them by going through them. So um, I, I hopefully next year we're on some of the other end of those learning moments, but I think, right now we've just made some key some key stumbles at key moments in games that were otherwise winnable yeah and that's that's where you either you're right you have to earn those moments or you have to just bring in someone who's kind of battle tested who can be that that player coach a little like what Washington did with Paul Pierce 
That's why I would love to see this offseason for the Pistons, and I don't have a particular player in mind, but bring in a veteran who has made runs in the playoffs, has played meaningful games in June. I think that would be really key for this team if they could find a veteran uh, to just, even if it's just a, a role player, just someone coming off the bench, uh, a little like what Washington had last year again in Paul Pierce, to give them uh, that little bit of, I don't know, it's it's those intangible things you don't you can't really quantify. And I know that you're a numbers guy, but I, I feel like we need somebody who's been in those battles before. Sure, it's kind of like what they tried to do with Karan Butler last year. They were just a year too early. Yeah, you know, it was a, yeah. it was a year too early for that kind of a player. I can see, I can definitely see the appeal of that when you're a team like this, when you're on the brink. You know, having a guy like that when you're winning 25 games to me, that's a waste of a roster spot. But when you're at 40, 41, 42, bringing a guy who can, you know, maybe be your ninth or tenth guy in the rotation that really understands the game of basketball, absolutely, I'd be all for it. Yeah, and that's. Uh, you're right. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything when you're Minnesota, but right. it definitely means something. In fact, it might hurt you when you're Minnesota. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, but when you're a team that's just on that brink, I think it can give you enough in that interim uh, to get you over the top. And I feel like Van Gundy needs to bring in someone, maybe from his run in Orlando. Uh, to make the difference uh, next season. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. We have a special mailbag episode coming up this weekend, uh, so keep a, a good lookout for that. Uh, hashtag AskDBB, that'll be the way to get our questions in. Uh, so make sure to be on the lookout for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ben, for uh, coming on and, and talking Pistons a little bit. Anything you want to leave the leave everyone with this week? Hey, it's always a pleasure, and uh, I, I'm really optimistic. I've been sort of one of the negative Nancys over the past few years. <laughs> I'm really optimistic. I think there's a real good chance we could be really, really happy with the way this season wraps up. I agree. I think there's a, there's some reasons to be optimistic, uh, cautiously so, but that's just the Detroit sports fan and me talking, uh, on the day that Calvin officially retired. So I, I'm a little hurt. It's uh, It's too soon for me to totally buy into something again. Well, thanks, Ben. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks a lot.